1: Good morning. This is Seven Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. We're going to be taking your calls during the hour concerning any types of uh, healthcare issues that you would like to ask. That's right. You can call in right now by dialing one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or if you're not able to call us, you can always email us. That email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. Uh, a lot of people will ask, you know, uh, I just I've listened to the program and I just I don't know if my question is appropriate. Basically, a criteria for what's appropriate is anything that comes to mind related to healthcare issues both from yourself or from somebody else that is maybe a friend or somebody in the family that's all fair game we'll we'll take a stab at all of that and um we'll uh try to answer the question right on the air but if uh if we can't we'll try to point you in the right direction but again that number is 1877 mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. And I'd encourage people to go ahead and call in now with those questions. We have a, usually a little bit more time on the front end of our program uh, than we do in the latter half of the hour. Dr. Jimmy, you're going to let me squeeze in a question here to start things off. Absolutely. So uh, last Thursday, it felt like I had a sore throat. So I debated back and forth, uh, should I go, should I not get a COVID test? Because I understood that, you know, with Omicron, a sore throat was one of the, the main symptoms. So I finally decided it was better that I should for both myself and my co-workers and that sort of thing. Anyway, went there. The test came back negative. Uh, But uh, Friday, I had a night where I was not feverish, but warm uh, and a little achy and that sort of thing and felt like kind of flu type symptoms. Since then, I'm still congested, uh, but feel like it's more of a normal cold situation. Several of my friends have suggested, oh, you must have gotten, you know, a false negative. So is does that happen frequently? and, And how do you know? And what is it that I mean, should I go get another test? What would you advise in a situation like that? Yeah, Kevin, that's a great question. It's <clears throat> certainly one that you need to uh I think everybody sort of realizes that tests are not 100% perfect. So there are it depends on the type of test, it depends on how you take that test and with COVID um, you know, there's a little bit of controversy about how to do the test. Um, now, most of the tests you can get both at home or in a clinic situation are, uh, there's two types. And, and the most common one right now, particularly the ones you can take home, are the antigen test. So the antigen tests are testing for that outside piece of the covid virus so they're looking for these little bitty pieces of it and there's a chemical reaction with that it almost looks like a pregnancy test or a flu test that we have in the office that we that we do too um, and it's it's pretty good it's not 100 uh, percent accurate though so there can be both a false positive with meaning that you don't have covid but it comes up uh, becomes positive or a false negative um, that is rare on both of those uh, in both of those situations. And there's a, a thing that we teach medical students and residents all the time is is pretest probability. In other words, if you're totally asymptomatic and you took this test and your test came back positive for COVID, but you didn't have any exposures, you've been you're in a job by yourself, or maybe you've been on a hiking trip and you just tested for whatever reason. Well, that would probably be a false positive because the likelihood of you having that is so low because of the lack of symptoms and those kinds of things. However, with COVID, you can't always go by that. So, you know, Kevin, with your your having the symptoms, uh, certainly that is a possibility. Those are multiple symptoms that you had that could have been COVID. So testing was the right thing to do. But there's, you know, keep in mind there's other things that can cause that. So there's all kinds of other viruses out there, enteroviruses, adenoviruses, that can cause similar things. The flu is out there, too. Um, so, if you had a negative test, it could be a false negative and, you know, what we would normally say is if you continue to have symptoms and you're in the day, you know, three three to four or even five with those symptoms, maybe taking a, a an additional test is the right thing to do. Um, that's what we would do in an office situation. And then, um, you know, but if it's if it's negative that second time, two negative tests is more than enough to to really say that you didn't have it. Now, a lot of clinics, and, and ours is one of these, will do a rapid test. That's the antigen test, and if it, if the test is positive, then we'll go with that because actually a positive test, particularly in the setting of symptoms, is pretty reliable that you actually have COVID. Um, but if you don't if it's negative and you're you know you had enough symptoms to get tested then it automatically gets sent for what's called a PCR test and that PCR test for uh the genetic material in that virus and is much more sensitive and in, in other words it can pick up much smaller levels of it and it's much more specific meaning it is really specific for covid it's not going to cross react with something else so if your antigen test is negative and a PCR test is done at the same time, and that's positive, you have COVID. That's that's almost 100% sensitive and specific, and it's, it's a very accurate test to do that. So, um, you know, just sort of keep that in mind. And this is not much different from other tests, particularly things like flu. Uh, there are a couple of other tests like this that, you know, They're just not 100% uh, accurate, and you're not going to find a test that's 100% accurate like that just because of the way that they're put together. So, um, you know, if you're still having symptoms, first test was negative, probably a good idea to go ahead and get a second test. You can get that, you know, if you can get one over the counter, that'd be fine. And if it's negative, two negative tests, that pretty much solidifies that you didn't have COVID. Let's go to William from Lincoln County. Good morning, William. Hello. Hello. Thanks for calling. What's your question? I got a, I
2: got a, uh, a, a question in my mind.
1: Okay.
2: Tell us. <laughs> I came conscious on the floor behind my recliner back in July.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I couldn't stand up. I maneuvered around to a doorway and worked my way up the doorway with my hands, but when I tried to take a step, I couldn't take a step. I was back on the floor. Mm -hmm. The emergency room came and got me out of the house. As soon as they could uh, give me a hand, the two EMTs, I could walk with their assistant out of the house. Uh, they thought I had a heart attack or maybe a stroke. Mm-hmm. Got to the hospital. They said I had elevated heart enzymes. They didn't okay. say what uh-huh. that was. Right. They sent me to UMMC. They went through a bunch of tests again. Finally found out that uh, I had a problem with my neck and with my hips, but it it wasn't the cause of me not being able to uh, walk, they said. And I started walking the next day after I got to the hospital, but I couldn't raise my left arm all the way. And Gradually, over time, it got better and went to uh, uh, rehab and mm-hmm. full, got full uh, ability with my arm. And my hips started getting better where uh, I'd been taking steps, and if I didn't watch it, I would almost fall. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now they didn't ever say what the problem was. Finally convinced themselves and told me that it wasn't a heart attack, it wasn't a stroke. They thought that maybe it was a a, a seizure.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm wondering what was the problem and why they couldn't tell me better about what my problem was.
1: Sure. Yeah, William, that's a lot of, that's that's a, you know, passing out and weakness that sometimes goes along with that um, can be caused by a number of things. And um, this sounds like a fairly complex situation that you had when it came on. And you named a couple of the things that you'd want to, you know, you'd want to mark off the list fairly quick because if you don't diagnose those fairly quick, you can end up having some damage. And the two places in your body, the two organs that would be the most important would be the heart and the brain. So there are several different ways to to look at that. So the heart itself can have a number of things wrong with it that could cause these symptoms. One could have been that you did have a heart attack. So that's, you know, the enzymes that they, that's a blood test that they look at some of the enzymes that are specific to the heart and if those are elevated, there's been some type of heart damage. Now, it may not be sort of a classic heart attack where you've got less blood flow to a certain area of the heart, but it may have been some type of damage that was done to the heart during that episode that you had, depending on what the cause was. Another type of of thing that can cause that is an irregular rhythm of the heart. So if there's something wrong with the electrical system, during that short period of time your heart basically stops beating or it has impaired beating so that it's not able to pump the adequate amounts of blood and then you pass out and then you can have weakness after that. So those are two are of the most common things and there's a ton of different within those there's a ton of different ways that they could that they could happen and then with the brain of course a stroke is, is another one where you're basically just getting less blood flow to the to the brain Um, And that can be something that is very short-lived or it can be, you know, permanent damage depending on on the decreased blood flow. Seizure activity um, is another one that can cause a loss of consciousness. It can cause a decreased uh, ability to move certain parts of your body. And it's because there's irregular electrical activity in the brain. But you have to catch it and some of these other things right when you have it. So if you get after the fact, it's a little bit harder to diagnose those. I'm going to, based on what you said, and this is my educated guess. Now, I, I would have to go through, I think in order to tell you, I would contact those people who took care of you maybe or get those those records and take it to a physician so that they can sort of be your interpreter to sort of say what what was going on. I bet that they do have you know, sort of a working diagnosis that they were going after, particularly if you ended up having to have rehab. But a seizure, unless it's continually going on, and if it was, they'd probably be able to catch that with a test called an EEG, uh, an electro, electroencephalogram, uh, where they put these pieces of tape and wires on your head and they measure the electrical activity. Um, Normally after you've had a seizure, you regain that movement fairly quickly afterwards uh, in your arms or your legs or whatever is effective. Same thing with uh, you know with heart damage that's easily picked up both both on blood tests and then with various tests like an EKG they can do an echo of your heart that can sort of see how strong it's pumping and then there's some other tests like stress tests that they can do to sort of see the blood flow patterns and finally a um, a catheterization of the heart can can uh, pick some of those things up. And then from a stroke standpoint, there's, uh, you know, a CT scan for uh, a quick in the ER type uh, uh, localization of a possible stroke, and then also an MRI, which is a little bit more specific and can pick up things a little bit faster. And then they can also inject some dye in there to look at the blood flow pattern. So... William, I, I don't know that I'd give you a, a specific answer on these things. I think a seizure is a little less likely unless it's continuing to go on. But um, I would I would get those records and get those to, uh, you know, your main doctor and sort of see if you need some follow-up. If you've done fine since then, that's great. But there may be some things down the road that, you know, depending on what's going on with you that need to be looked at. But it's not straightforward. Even for the experts, so a lot of times you have to think about two or three things at once and try to mark the things off the list that are going to do the most damage. And then just one more plug before we leave this question, but the the, – Uh, Rehab is extremely important, but it can help from a number of situations. It can help if you've had a heart attack. It can help if you've had a stroke. It can help if you've had other damage to different parts of your body or your uh, nervous system to help regain that function, so it is important. But I, I, you know, just just as complex. This is a fairly complex presentation. I'd get the records, and that's pretty easy to do. I would get them from the hospital you went to first, and from here at uh, UMMC. And uh, get those to your physician, and you may want to take it to somebody else like a neurologist or a cardiologist just to see if they can uh, sort of see you right now and what you're able to do and then what went on to try to see uh, see what happened. So sometimes getting that big picture like that and seeing it, uh, all the stories it's written down by the, uh, the medical uh, professionals that were taking care of you can help try to figure out what's going on.
2: Is that why the cardiologist uh, had me do an echogram? Right. And yeah. Then a stress test. test.
1: Uh huh. Yeah, that's one. That's two of the tests that I mentioned that can look at the function and then the blood flow to the heart. And sometimes they'll do it at the same time. Sometimes they'll do it. You know, just uh, one test is better in the different situations, but. Yeah, it sounds like you're going to need somebody to sort of walk back through those records and then uh, can uh, sort of interpret to you, you know, sort of what went on.
3: I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy.
4: I'm Coach Charlie Melton, and I want to help steer you in the right direction. If you need coaching on fixing up your automobile, listen to our podcast, AutoCorrect, found on all podcasting platforms.
3: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
1: This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, taking your calls about any kind of health care topic that you would like to ask a question about. Maybe it's a new medication, a new diagnosis. We are here to try to help you this morning. The number to call is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're gonna to go to John in Natchez. Good morning, John.
4: Good morning. Uh, thank you for having me. Sure. Uh, on. October of last year, I was diagnosed with uh, a two fibrillation, mm-hmm. and uh, in November they put a pacemaker in me. And uh, the doctor told me that I would have a high stamina. I could go back to doing the things that I normally did, uh, with the exception of staying away from power tools and stuff like that. Uh, uh, electrical forces twelve inches away from the pacemaker. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I love to hunt. Uh, I, I, it, it was getting to the point where I could walk 200 yards and I had to sit down because I was out of breath. And uh, and since then, it's getting it's gotten worse. Uh, I, I can walk ooh, 20 yards now and I'm out of breath. And I went to the doctor uh, a week ago and he uh, uh, prescribed me some. I told him all of this and he prescribed a new blood pressure medicine, and a diuretic fluid pill. Okay, it's been two weeks, and, you know, the medication should should have, you know, taken effect. But uh, it seems like it's getting worse. Uh, do you think I need to get a second opinion on this?
1: Yeah, I probably would. Um, you know, anytime you're dealing with possible things that are affecting your heart, and certainly your stamina is maybe related to some of that, um, I, I think it's a good idea, and I think that second opinion may need to be a cardiologist if if this if your primary doctor that you go into is not a cardiologist, just because they have a little bit more experience and um, training and specifically to the heart. Um, atrial fibrillation, you know that normally uh, that's that's controlled a couple of different ways. Sometimes they can get you back into a regular rhythm. It is, it is an irregularity of the upper two chambers of the heart with that electrical system. The lower two chambers really are, are usually are no problem. If you were doing okay, and, that, well, if they put in a pacemaker, there may have been some other things that they saw, because normally they don't do that just for AFib, um, but there may have been some other things that they saw with the rhythm that, um, that, that may be affecting your heart. And sometimes they can make adjustments with that pacemaker to, uh, you know, if you're having some fatigue or if you're, you know, not being able to walk 200 yards. And then the other thing to think about is heart failure type symptoms and. Heart failure, there's two types. There's one where your heart can't relax, and then there's one where your heart is actually uh, it's weak and it can't pump that blood. And uh, they're, they're treated just a little bit differently. Um, uh, good blood pressure control is a mainstay of both of those and the correct types of medications with those. But we've got a lot of good heart failure medications uh, and medications to treat irregular heart, heart rhythms. Uh, much more than we used to, and people can, even with some complex um, uh, heart failure or or arrhythmias, they can do a lot of things, including hunt, uh, and do some of the things that they like. So yeah, John. I think if it were me, uh, I would I would go get a second opinion on that, and they may want to do some additional testing to look at the you know look for irregularities in rhythm, uh, or with heart function, and uh, maybe get you on some different medications that are going to be able to get you to improve that stamina. Uh, you know, we mentioned rehab with the previous caller. This is another sort of area that has specific uh, benefits. Cardiac rehab or heart rehab is a specific rehab that is very beneficial for patients who've had a heart attack, who've had heart failure, or arrhythmias to try to get them back and conditioned to do some of the things that they can do. So, my advice would be to uh, to get to a cardiologist and uh,
4: Hopefully see. the doctor that I'm seeing that got me on this stuff is a cardiologist, and I was uh, my heart rate was uh, was low. Uh-huh. And the reason he put the pacemaker in because, you know, they got medications if your heart rate is high to bring it down. They got right. medications for that, but they don't have medications if it's low to bring it back up. They tried yeah. shocking my heart back in the rhythm. That didn't do any good, and that was the purpose of the pacemaker to, uh, you know, stop it from getting too low.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that makes perfect sense and uh, of why they put the pacemaker in. Um so, if you're already seeing a cardiologist, that's yeah. that's for that. I, it's not a big deal to see somebody else just to get a second opinion. That they may be something else that they can they can do to change your medications around a little bit, um, uh, that might help. You know, in two weeks you should be seeing some benefit. But I'd give it a couple more weeks though, because some of the heart, particularly the heart-specific medications. It takes up to like four to six weeks sometimes to to get those um, you know to to see the benefit of those.
4: Okay, but like I said, the situation has gotten worse. You know, I used to go yeah. two hundred yards now to uh, ten, twenty yards, and I'm out of breath.
1: Yeah, if it's gotten that much worse, I think you need to see somebody fairly quickly. I probably wouldn't wait.
4: Yeah. Okay.
1: All right, John, good luck to you. Um, I hope you can get back out there and uh, get to the point where you can do some of the things you like, including to hunt. So that's in, that's important. I tell my patients, like, you know, what's your goals in this? Not just to have a better blood pressure, but what do you want to do with your life? Goals are important um, for all of us to think about the things that are uh, most important to us. Let's go to John from Leakesville. Good morning, John.
5: Um, I want to ask you something uh, like four or five years ago I was driving my truck down Highway 63 there and and uh, finally I woke up in the uh, emergency room and I asked the nurse, I said, what am I doing here? She said, well, we found you in a ditch and uh, anyway, I guess they took it. I had a seizure because um, I blacked out. Uh, in fact, I was out for about two hours there and uh, so I went to the uh, seizure clinic in Addisburg, and uh, he done some kind of test on me. He never did tell me what or what it was or anything else. He just put me on this <coughs> seizure medicine. Uh, I'll have to spell it out to you: L-E-B-E-T-I-R-A-C-E-T-A-M. r a c t a m. Mhm.
1: Yeah, I'm uh-huh. familiar with that. It's,
5: one. Yeah, it's 500 milligrams. Well, I take three of them a day, and. uh but anyway, uh, of course, I haven't blacked out since, but uh, I was all the time getting real, real dizzy and uh, keeping my balance, rather. So I said, I remember uh, I remember a while back, my dog, uh, he uh, he was doing the same thing, so I took him to the vet, and the vet told him he was, low, he was real low on potassium. I said, well, I'll just... I'll just try it. I said, I ain't got nothing to lose. So I started taking three of them a day, and uh, 99 milligrams each, and it knocked it out completely. And uh, But now it's got where uh, my head is spinning 90 miles an hour, and uh, I don't black out. I'm, I mean, I know what's going on, you know, but I, I lose all my strength. I can't do nothing until it passes away. It takes about... Minute, two minutes, while i would be gone. But anyway, I, I went to the uh, hospital and um, yesterday I, I got an uh, echo autogram done and I got a heart monitor on. And uh, so I, I'm going to wait and see what that, that reveals. Because, uh, like I told him, I said, I don't want to hear him tell me everything's okay. I said, I'm, I get tired of hearing that. I said, especially when I know there's something wrong. So yeah. what would you suggest
1: <laughs> no, I think you did the right thing um and just because you had you know if they diagnosed you with a seizure years ago, and uh, even if that was successful doesn't mean you can't have something else come up um and you know you don't it, just because you passed out doesn't mean you had a seizure again there's lots of other things that could do that there's arrhythmias that can do that uh if you have you know uh, certainly the most common thing is um if you if you're dehydrated or if there's something else going on if you're working really hard, particularly in a Mississippi summer you know it you you can uh you can get dehydrated to the point where that can happen as far as electrolytes go like the the potassium issue usually potassium low potassium it can make you profoundly weak um but it usually doesn't. Cause a seizure, I know in other animals it might do that something like that now, sodium can do that, but you don't need to fool around with that too much um you know with with taking excess things because it can there's some other problems that it can uh that it can cause if you get too much potassium in your system and you're not able to get rid of it appropriately but I think you're what it sounds like what you know the doctors that you went to are looking broadly at other things, particularly your heart. Um, you know, a lot of people will say, well, I had a EKG of my heart, and it was just fine. Um, why are they wanting to do other tests? Uh, well, because you can have arrhythmias, that, those are regular rhythms that aren't there all the time, so they can come and go, and that's why it sounds like I think you said you had, like, a, a heart monitor, like a Holter, or a, there's actually a smaller one that just sort of is taped to your chest that, um, that can...
5: That's uh, what i got.
1: Yeah that that's been a that's been a great improvement um, because that can capture you know things for sometimes you can wear it for weeks at a time. Uh,
5: Do you think you think I need to quit taking that potassium?
1: I probably would, and I bet that they took some lab work. And if your potassium was normal on the lab work and wasn't low, then I don't think you need to necessarily take it. Now, if you're just taking one or two over-the-counter potassium supplements a day, unless you have something like. Uh, uh, kidney, you know, kidney uh, failure or or something like that. That's not going to hurt you. But, um, but yeah, if your potassium was normal, I think just you know, just sticking to eating a healthy diet is probably okay.
5: Okay, because I uh, these potassium, I get, I get, I get them from the dollar store. They, like I said, at 99 milligrams each. Uh, yeah, that's not get, a whole lot. Not.
1: It's it's not a whole lot of potassium in those, you know, overall you're probably okay with that, but um it, you know, if your potassium's normal, you may that may be one less thing you don't have to take.
5: I supposed to get a uh, lab tomorrow and uh so maybe it will tell me something.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's sometimes these take time and um but it sounds like they're looking for the right kinds of things. The echo again is for the strength of the heart, so it's sort of the heart function and then the, um, you know, the heart monitor that you're wearing um, to pick up on those irregular, possible irregular episodes. And um, there's also, I'm sure they told you, too, to sort of pay attention to when you're having those episodes because they can go back and look at that heart monitor, the data that's on there, and like, okay, at this time on this day when you were having those symptoms, was there irregular electrical activity in the heart? And if those correlate, that may be your answer.
5: Okie doke. I just uh, wanted to find out on it.
1: All right, John. Well, I, yeah. I hope you get the answers you need. Don't don't give up. Um, you know, the, these are the kind of things in medicine that take time. It's not just a. I wish it were quicker. That'd make things a lot easier for us and for patients. But um, but sometimes it does take take time.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, answering your calls about health care questions that are important to you. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 And our email address is remedy at org. Let's go to Joyce in Poplarville. Good morning, Joyce. Hi.
0: How are you doing?
1: Good. Thank you for calling.
0: Well, I'm... Um Calling in regards to, can you hear me?
1: Yes, ma'am. I can hear you loud and clear.
0: <laughs> uh, in regards to my blood pressure, it keeps okay. going up. And uh, just, I think it was about Monday or so. It was two forty over one hundred, and it's been like one sixty six over eighty four, one seventy five over ninety, and one eighty one over ninety. That's pretty high, and I'm my doctor. He gave me some new medicine, and I've been taking it. And he said, "Give us about ten days." So I'm just wondering. And you know, I've been bothered with high blood pressure for a while, but never ever have it, has it gone this high. And it's been going doing like this ever since I I know in December I had a cataract removed. Mm-hmm. And it was high then. It was 180 over 80, and I asked them. I said, "Is is that high? Isn't that kind of high?" And they said, "Yes, but it, it'd be okay." But
1: yeah, it's you know it's not uncommon during surgeries and things like that, particularly cataract surgery, for it to be a little bit higher in increased stress uh, situations, but if it's persistent like that, and particularly in somebody who's had high blood pressure that's been, I'm assuming you're, you had it for a while and it was previously controlled? Yes. yeah,
0: yes. No so, problem. That all of a sudden, I don't know if there's, well, I have this knee problem that I have to go to the doctor about uh, Monday. It, you know, it keeps hurting and you know, like that. But this was happening before the knee problem. December 4th is when I had the surgery.
1: And if you don't mind me asking, Joyce, how old are you?
0: 75.
1: Okay, okay. Yeah, so um, this would be a situation where, again, you know, most people... We can control blood pressure in most people um, through about two to three medications, and that's not too many. A lot of people are like, "Well, can it just be one?" Well, a lot of people are controlled with one, but most two to three, and um, that usually occurs in your 40s or 50s when when you develop that, and we call that primary hypertension, and and usually that's just from you know um, your genetics and. Uh, It can be lifestyle related. If you're overweight, that can, or you eat, you know, the wrong kinds of foods or those all kinds of things over time can contribute to that. But we can control those with medications and with lifestyle modifications pretty well. Now, if you're in the situation where you were diagnosed with hypertension, you were put on some medication and it was controlled uh, for a number of years and then all of a sudden it comes up and it's it's hard to control uh, in this situation, I would look for secondary forms of hypertension now there are some other things that can make your blood pressure suddenly become uncontrolled and you know I'll just give you the list uh, of things that they might want to look for Um, one is the arteries to your kidneys so decreased blood flow to your kidneys can make it very difficult to control blood pressure with medications, particularly certain types of medications, and sometimes you'll need an intervention where they go in and open up those arteries to your kidneys so they can get enough blood flow. There are hormone changes, uh, not the male-female hormones, but other uh, hormones that can sometimes make it more difficult to uh to control blood pressure uh there are certain sometimes uh benign tumors that can develop that can secrete hormones that can do that or it can be something else going on in your cardiovascular system that needs to be looked at um now this this takes a again it's a little bit i you know I hate to to say that this takes a little bit of time but it does. Uh, But if your blood pressure is still up around those levels, then I think they need to be looking a little bit more closely at your kidneys, at your heart, um, doing some extra blood work to make sure there's not something else going on to make that blood pressure not as controlled as it used to be. And uh, we call that resistant hypertension. You know, if you're if you're on three or more medications, then your blood pressure's still not controlled. Um, that's a that's a really high likelihood that something else is going on. You, you mentioned that's pain. Yeah, and you mentioned pain too, and and certainly that can make it go up. And if you're in a lot of pain, it you know it it can be. But it's be, not uh,
0: severe pain. I mean, it's annoying yeah. pain, but not yeah. severe pain.
1: Yeah, that's that's all, you know, you have to take that into consideration, but um I think, you know, particularly you mentioned, you know, it was there, it was already elevated before you had that um that pain. So, I would I would go to somebody that's very comfortable with with treating hypertension and looking for secondary high blood pressure issues. Um there are hypertension specialists in the state. Um, that can do that and uh, you may have to ask around sometimes their family medicine internal medicine or cardiology or uh, kidney doctors and they're all have had a little bit more training to do that uh, but I would, I would, you know, if your physician isn't comfortable, can you, uh, you know, you may even want to say, you know, can you send me to somebody who has some expertise in hypertension? Because um, I, I think that needs to be controlled. That's way too high, you know, for uh, right. for you to be there, uh, be uh, have that persistent hypertension. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind is there, there, there's a lot of other things that it's that that can be causing it, so I'd be very open to all kinds of different things, um, and uh, both as a physician and as a patient, to to make sure that you're not, you know, just saying, well, it can't be this, Um, but I think they need to step back and take a a broad look at some of the things that could be affecting it, and maybe get some further studies and labs to try to figure that out.
0: Okay, that makes sense, because I've had lab work, I think, within the... Past three months and mm-hmm. everything came back, but I guess that's just regular. Right,
1: know, yeah, regular exactly. Stuff. And sometimes sometimes things will be picked up. You know, we had a previous caller mention uh, potassium. Uh, low potassium can be one of the indicators of one of these secondary causes, Um and then there's lots of things like sleep apnea or sleep disorders that can play into it uh cortisol levels sometimes if they're too high from various other things can can be causing it uh we mentioned the the kidney problems, either the blood flow to the kidneys um to the arteries or a problem with the kidneys themselves and on regular lab work <laughs> it's, you know that's not some of those things are not gonna be um you know picked up and yeah. you, know, you you need to specially order those. To go deeper, right? Yes, ma'am. Okay. I, yeah, I would. I'd start at, and based on what you've told me. I think I would start to dig deeper on that.
0: Okay. All right. Makes sense. All righty. I sure appreciate that. It gives me some insight because I was very nervous about it because it has never happened before. So.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's that's sort of the the situation where you can have a secondary cause. I I to- would Look hard.
0: And I needed to know what direction to go in, as yep. to when I see my doctor, as yep. to what to, you know, sit down and talk to him
1: about. Exactly, yeah. exactly. All right, Joyce. Thank you for calling, and uh, good luck to you on that. I think that with a little bit of uh, detective work and uh, investigation, they should be able to figure out what's going on with your blood pressure. <music> This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, and i got some really good questions about a lot of uh, things that are uh, on people's minds and some of the medical problems that they're dealing with. We're going to go to Scott, who's been patiently waiting in Jackson. Good morning, Scott.
5: Hey, how are you doing?
1: Good. What's your question this morning?
5: Okay, I'm 52. I'm 5'3", about 145 pounds. But when I been over to tie my shoes, when I get up, I'm out of breath. Just some time bend over time I should is that normal not really
1: um, you know as somebody who is turning 52 in a couple of months that is not a normal thing um, you mentioned height too sometimes you know height differences and things like that can uh, can affect things but now normally you can have what's called uh, you can have sort of a redistribution if you bend over and then you you get up really quickly that blood that has you know is uh w- it drains down from your brain and you can be a little bit foggy but usually that's not something that can cause shortness of breath um do you get shorter breath when you have other activities when you're like if you're walking or even running or things like that
0: yes yeah, sometimes if
2: I, no, walking no but running yes
1: okay yeah i i might see somebody about that, if I were seeing you in the office and that's the only symptom that you had and you had a normal exam, I'd probably want to get a little bit of lab work, but I'd also want to get something called an echocardiogram of your heart that looks for at heart function. Um, I can't think of a reason why bending down and then getting up quickly would cause the shortness of breath. It can cause lightheadedness, but that's usually only for a couple of seconds. Um so that what that test will do is allow them to see the blood flow through your heart. Sometimes valvular disease and, and uh, narrowing of the valves in the heart can cause certain, um, certain symptoms. And they may be able to pick that up on physical exam and then follow it up with an echo, but the echo may be the only way to see it but yeah that's not normal for a 52 year old even if you're you know if you're 53 or 63 um it that that doesn't sound like it's something that uh is normally you know something that um that that should happen and i probably would look at the heart first and then maybe even some of the vessels that go up to your to your head uh like the carotid arteries in your neck uh and maybe even the basal artery and there's some other tests that they can do to look at that
5: Okay, thank you. Thank you. I'll get that done. Thank you.
1: All right, Scott. Thanks for calling. I'm going to squeeze in one more caller Craig from Biloxi. Good morning, Craig. Hey, good morning. Uh,
5: I'm going to shoot out my question here and take it off the air. Uh, how many ways are there to look into the body that is minimally or non invasive? And, and you might start with laparoscopic, maybe?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'm a huge fan of Star Trek, and I, I had dreamed before, you know, Star Trek The Next Generation came on TV about the same – when I was in high school and then some in college too. And, you know, the medical side of that in science fiction and some of the things that, that they did on the show, I would think, man, if we just had some ways to do that, we wouldn't have to stick anybody. We wouldn't have to do some of the surgeries. And it's amazing in that short period of time from the late 90s uh late 80s uh, to now some of the things that are available. And certainly there's a lot of tests that have been very useful. However, there's some other things that, you know, it's just not prime time yet. And everybody wants to do mentally invasive things, and uh, sometimes they're good for some things and sometimes they're not. So I, I'll just start off with a broad category of imaging. Uh, So imaging can be anything from x-rays to CT scans to MRI scans, PET scans, and these all look at different things in different ways inside the body without actually having to cut open the body. And they are very. I should I should add ultrasound in there too. Um, so all of these use different modalities to uh, to image things inside the body, and the definition of those have been has gotten a whole lot better. I can remember when the MRI first came out, and it was uh, pretty fuzzy uh, compared to now. We all thought it was so cool that we could see things like that. Um, but uh, now they've gotten really good, even for x-rays. Digital x-ray technology has gotten a whole lot better. Uh, ultrasounds have gotten a lot more specific. We do, we use ultrasound really as an extension of the physical exam now uh, at the bedside. So uh, a lot of people listening may have experience where you go to the doctor and uh, uh, like they'll maybe do an ultrasound in the office or they'll do an ultrasound in the emergency room. Um so that's mentally invasive. So some things are more invasive, but um it's not as as much of a uh of cutting you open if you want to use that that metaphor. So um so uh, some surgeries are like that. You mentioned laparoscopic surgeries. Laparoscopic is where they use a lighted tube or multiple tubes that they can go inside different places and they can do surgeries or they can do procedures in ways that don't require Uh, the old traditional way of of a surgical um, operation to do it. Uh, One of the coolest things is valve replacements now. So they can actually do those through an artery in your arm to go up to the heart. They don't have to cut you open in the chest, and they can replace uh, a couple of different valves, the mitral valve, the aortic valve. They have gotten really good at doing those, and there's lots of, of really good training to do those. So Uh, other surgeries cancer surgeries those are all things that have gotten a lot better to do with not uh, having to cut people open like that so Lots of different things, but just because it's mentally invasive uh, doesn't mean that's for everything. There's still some things that you still, you just can't get to very well, um, but uh, getting to your doctor that has experience with that and can tell you the pluses and minuses, and sometimes you'll have a choice of which one to choose, but certainly a lot of different ways that we've improved over the last 20, 30 years to uh, to uh, cause less damage to tissue. Well, that's about all the time we have for today. I want to thank all all of our callers as usual for calling in. Some great questions today. If you have a question, you can always email us, send it to remedy at mpbonline.org. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and funding is provided in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and support from listeners just like you. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners. So if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org.
2: Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform.